The section of Ephesians, of course, is about walking with Christ, walking in the new life that Christ has given us. Uh, last week we talked about uh, being filled with the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit, uh, following His ways and, and His paths. And, and verse 21 is a continuation of that, but it's a bridge, and I'll show you why I say that in a minute. So it's going to sound funny when I start at verse 21 because it's, it's, in the English version it's at the middle of a sentence, but in the Greek it's actually uh, the beginning uh, of a sentence. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, an, is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do come before you and, and ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to your word. Lord, we pray that you would shape and mold and change us and give us a, a clear understanding of the nature of marriage, particularly in this case. But especially, Lord, help us to understand fully and completely as much as we can, the nature of your relationship with your people, the church. Father, we pray that we would know that relationship firsthand, uh, that it would not be a theoretical knowledge, but that we would indeed be able to call you our husband. Lord, we pray that we would indeed be the bride of Christ. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be subject to you in all things. It's not easy. We're rebellious. We're selfish. We're sinful. Lord, we pray that you would break through that and get rid of the old self, the old man, and help us to be renewed in our minds and put on the new man made after the image of Christ. Father, we pray for all those who are struggling this morning, whether it be with, relation, with the relationships, uh, whether it be in their marriage or in, in, in any other relationship, in their family or friends or workers. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to those. And Father, for those who are struggling uh, maybe in uh, a physical way, we pray that you would bring healing to their bodies. We pray that you would bring comfort to those who uh, are in grief. We think of the Selig family, Lord, and the loss of, of Janet's uh, father this past week. We pray for others who have loved ones who are uh, in the hospital. Lord, we pray that you would bring grace and help and comfort into those situations. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our land and our state, and our county and city. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide and direct them as they govern us. Lord, we are subject to them, just as we are subject to you. They, indeed, uh, have been placed there by you. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, mold and shape them into godly leaders, that we might pass our days in peace. 
and enjoy the freedoms that we thankfully enjoy now today. Lord, we pray that we would grab our freedoms, especially the freedom to worship you. Uh, according to your word, we pray, Lord, that that, pre- that freedom will be preserved. And we thank, thank you for those who are working to preserve our freedoms and defending our country to preserve those freedoms. And we pray your blessing upon them as well. Lord, be with our missionaries. We pray for them. Pray that their work would go well, that the gospel would go forth because of their efforts. And we pray, Lord, that you would save the lost, bring a great number, uh, a great multitude into your church, that more people might be uh, singing your praises and giving you glory, not just with their lips, but with their lives as well. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention uh, to your word, we pray that you would uh, help us to bring honor and glory to you by the way that we live, especially in our homes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every Christian marriage is a sermon. You might think that's a little strange. A a sermon is a proclamation of the gospel, the good news uh, that Christ died for sinners and that through faith we can have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, If you're a Christian, your marriage proclaims something about the relationship between Christ and his church. That's according to this passage before us today. Now, Hopefully, just like my sermons, there are some good ones and there are some bad ones. At least I hope there are some good ones in there. Uh, Just like that, just like any preacher, there are good times, good sermons, and bad sermons. There are Christian marriages that are good sermons and there are Christian marriages that are bad sermons. What What are our marriages like? Well, before we can understand anything about what this passage says about husbands and wives and marriage... Uh, we must first understand what it says about the relationship between Christ and the church, because that's the simile that Paul is using. Uh, simile, of course, is a comparison uh, between two things using the words like or as. Now, that's your English lesson for the day. Uh, not that I'm a great uh, expert in English grammar, as you'll probably see during this sermon. But the word as is used seven times in verses 22 through 33. So Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we must understand how Paul is comparing comparing these two. We must understand the relationship, first of all, between Christ and the church before we can understand what the relationship should should be between husbands and wives. Well, marriage imagery is used throughout Scripture. Uh, We have in the Old Testament, like we read for the call to worship, God is the husband and his people, the wife. Sometimes uh, they're accused of forsaking their husband, like Israel was often uh, called uh, uh, unfaithful to the Lord, unfaithful to to, uh, Israel's husband because they they worshipped other idols. You see that through the prophets. Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to by John the Baptist as the bridegroom. bridegroom. Uh, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. Uh, I think we studied that back when we looked at the Gospel of Mark. We have the parable of the virgins waiting for the bridegroom uh, in the New Testament, one of the parables that Jesus told. And, And then at the end of the Bible, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage is important to God. The Bible begins and ends with a marriage. 
You see that in Genesis, of course, with Adam and Eve. And then at the end of time, when, when, the, when the church is united with Christ uh, at the marriage supper, at the marriage feast of the Lamb in the last day. So if Christ is the groom or the husband, and the church is the bride or the wife, what is the relationship like? How does Jesus treat the church, and how should the church respond to Jesus? Well, this passage tells us a lot about that. First, it tells us that Christ is the Savior of the church. Verse 23, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Uh, he, ha- he has bought it with a price. We can say that's a bride price. We don't do that today, thankfully. Uh, but in those days, there was a dowry and a, and a price paid to the, the father of the bride. And there was some exchange of contracts and that sort of thing. Christ has purchased his church. He's the head of it. And he has saved it. He has brought it from death to life, as we looked at a few weeks ago. He did this because he loves the church, verse 25. Christ loved the church. He loved it so much that he gave himself up for her, it tells us there. He shows his love by giving himself up for the church. We read about it in Philippians 2. He, he set aside his glory. He set aside all the rights that he had as the Son of God. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, for his church, for his bride, for his people. And he's doing this to sanctify her, it tell, tells us here. Washing her, cleansing her, in order to present her to himself without blemish. So he's, he's got a bride, he's got his people that he's called to himself in the process of sanctification. He's, he's cleaning us up and he will make us completely holy one day and there will, in, in the marriage supper of the Lamb there will be no more sin and we will be presented uh, with Christ there uh, in eternity. And Christ continues to love the, the ch- love the church after giving himself up for the church. He nourishes and cherishes the church because it's his body. So we see here, illustrated for us, the great love that Christ has for his church and all that he has done uh, for the church in the past and all that he continues to do for the church to save and to cleanse and to wash and to nourish and to cherish and to build up and to make holy his bride. You know, when, when I did a wedding a few uh, weeks ago, a couple of weekends ago, and of course, you know, any, any wedding, the bride is decked out in a beautiful white dress and is looking her best, and, and it's a picture of this, what we're talking about, that the, the bride has been cleaned up and she's dressed in white and looking all perfect and spotless. And it's a big deal to do that during a wedding for good reason. It's a picture of Christ, the relationship between Christ and in the church. So Christ has done that for the church. What should the church do in response? That's a good question. Well, verse 24 tells us that the church submits to Christ. The church is the body of Christ and is united to Christ. It's a great privilege to be loved this much by Christ. So how should we respond? What are we called to do to subject ourselves? Not only to Christ but to one another. First, this text tells us our common calling as humans. We see that uh, in the first verse that we read. And then it gives us a particular focus. 
on our role as husbands and wives, and then we'll go on to talk about children and parents, and then slaves and masters, and so forth. But if you look at verse 21, it tells us there, you know, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, the word there, submit, is a compound word. It means, uh, the first word, hupo, means under, and then the other one is to place, or to appoint, or to set. It's to set something under something else, to place it under, under its authority, under its rule, under its guidance, whatever the case might be. And that's a biblical principle. We are to uh, submit or be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus said, uh, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. We're to serve one another. Romans Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, honor the other person more than yourself. Philippians 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And Peter, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but give grace, gives grace to the humble. See, the general principle we have as Christians male and female, is to submit to one another and to submit to Christ. So every Christian man and woman is a wife, a child, if we were to read on, and a slave. A wife to Christ, a child of God, and a servant of the Lord. These all apply to every one of us who are Christians. We're called to be submissive in those roles, to put ourselves under Christ and to put ourselves under each other. And of course, there's the funny uh, uh, saying, you know, joy, J-O-Y, means Jesus, others, and then yourself. It's the path to true joy. Kind of cheesy, but, you know, it, it illustrates the point. Uh, that's what we're called to do. Put Jesus first, others seconds, and then ourselves. Now, Paul goes on, and, and after he talks about this, because... Verse 21 through 24 is one sentence in the earliest manuscripts of the Greek. And verse 21, the verb there, submit, is not repeated like it is in English in verse 22 when it talks about wives. So there's a connection between 21 and 22. It's one sentence. It should have a comma instead of a period, but it makes more sense in, in English to do it the way that we've done it. And it also is connected back because it's a participle and connected with the other thing, admonishing one another with hymns and psalms and so forth, what he's talked about, how we, what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So it's a bridge between one section and another section in that word submit. We were talking about it last week, submitting ourselves to the Spirit's rule in our lives, coming under his control, and now we're doing it to one another and to Christ. Now, the particular focus or role, uh, husbands and wives, uh, verse 25 begins a new sentence, and I believe that it is telling us, and, and I want to start with the men first. You know, Paul starts with the women, but the women only get three verses, and the men get nine verses. So uh, a lot of people get hung up on the first part about the women in our day and time, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to deal with the men first, because I think that will help us understand the role of women uh, as well as it's described in the Bible. I believe that verse 25, where it begins talking about the duties of men, is a way that men submit to their wives. To love your wife as Christ loved the church is an act of submission. It's an act of placing yourself in a certain role. Putting someone before yourself to love someone means that's what you have to do. 
The primary of a duty of the husband to his wife is to love her. There are several words for love in the Greek language, and this is the word agape. Uh, it is an active love, not a self-seeking love. So husbands, love is an action. It's something that you do. It's not a feeling, as our, as our culture would have us believe, that it's all about how you feel. Well, love is something that you do, that you choose to do to your wife. Every day that you're married to your wife, you must consciously make an effort, an active effort, to love her. But it's not easy. Uh, you know, to, to lay down your life for someone else. That's what we're called to do. To love our wives like Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died for the church. He laid aside his rights, as it tells us in Philippians 2. Uh, his position as you know, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He came, took on human flesh, lived a humble life, uh, died a, a violent, painful death, suffered the wrath of God on our behalf, forced people in their place. That's the kind of love that husbands are called to have to their wives. Like Christ loved the church. A self-sacrificing, putting the other person first kind of love. That's what husbands are to do with their wives. That's how we are to love them. The problem with that is we're selfish, and our wives will agree. The best way I can bring out uh, you know, uh, this out is to look at Ephesians 5 and ask the question, how are we to love our wives? Well, we're called to lay down our lives for our wives, and we don't want to do that. Now, if somebody wanted to physically kill us, and, you know, threatened our family. I bet most of the men here would jump in front of a bullet for their wife. I would say that's easy compared to what this passage is talking about doing on a daily basis. It's easy to physically, physically die much more than it is to die to self and our own desires, uh, what we want, our own, what we think is our rights. That's very, very difficult because we are naturally self-centered and selfish. But that's not the way Christ treated us. He gave up his rights, his position, his comfort, his ease, his privileges, even his life, and he did it for his church. And we as husbands are called to love our wives in the same way. But that task is diametrically opposed to the way we are wired as sinful human beings. We want someone to serve us. We don't want to be the servant. But Christ calls husbands, even commands us to be like himself, who was the ultimate self-sacrificing servant. Now, some people might think that makes a man effeminate, uh, to be so loving and to give up your rights. But to be a true manly leader in your household, this is the only way to do it. I mean, Christ was not a wimp. I mean, he, you look at what he, he did in his life and how he died. That took a lot of courage to do that. He was self-sacrificing, not self-seeking. So we need to pray against selfishness in our own lives and to model the, the example of Christ in the way that we treat our wives. Well, men are selfish, and I'll tell you, sometimes wives are hard to love. And of course, that doesn't apply to my wife. She is so lovable and wonderful. Well, usually. Hopefully I'll get some lunch today. I've conducted weddings, and I've used this passage, of course. It's 
perfect. And, you know, I tell the groom, you know, she's beautiful now. She looks all spotless and perfect. And, you know, you've got all the, the emotions of the moment with uh, this beautiful woman that you have won to be your, your bride. And, and you can't imagine at this moment not feeling this way about her. But it will happen. There will come a time when there will be arguments and stresses and, and maybe even regrets. And there's days when you will be angry and, and when she's wrong and you think you're right and, and she will refuse to admit it and, and then the opposite will happen. And it's hard to, be a, it's hard to even imagine for a, a, a groom, but there will be times when you find your beautiful bride difficult to love. But it doesn't change the fact that you're called to love her as Christ loved the church. I think that's important for men to understand when they're getting married. We are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now think about Christ and the church. Back to that for a moment. You know, what if Jesus said to us, I'll love you when you come to the point of deserving my love? Well, we would never be loved in that case. We would be lost and without hope forever. Husbands, we are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church, whether we think she deserves it or not. And I think the primary uh, difficulty that we have uh, often in marriages is, is uh, the fault of the man. Uh, we need to step up and say, you know, if there's a problem in the marriage, we need to continue to love as Christ loved the church, whether it, we're getting respect or whether we're getting uh, uh, submitted to or not. That's our part. That's what we're called to do, to model Christ in that relationship. But the Lord has picked us out, given himself for us, cleanses us, nourishes us, and cherishes us men. He doesn't tell us to earn my favor, earn my love. He, by his grace, makes us lovely, even though we are unlovable. That's the way Jesus did it. And may we paint a picture with our marriages as husbands, in the way that we treat our wives. Now, wives, what can I say to you? You know, Many people have the opinion that I read on the Internet who said this. People are leaving religion in droves because they are starting to think for themselves. I don't need a book to tell me what's right or wrong. I know for myself, for years, many immoral things were justified by people because the Bible says it's okay. Things like the subordination of women and now the discrimination against homosexuals. People need to think for themselves as to whether something is right, not rely on a book that's 2,000 years old. Now, I think they would be referring to verse 22 here, where it says, wives submit to your own husbands. Seems like an outdated concept in our day and time. However, people who believe that this text teaches the subordination of women are simply wrong. People who believe the Bible promotes the sub subordination of women are wrong as well. Uh, you know, the, the biblical record, especially the Old Testament, shows God revealing himself at a time and in a culture that was patriarchal in its nature. Men had all the wealth. The firstborn son received the inheritance. The women received nothing. Their only hope for the future was to marry well. And they might not be the only wife of the man. Polygamy was the practice, especially in the Old Testament days. But even in the book of Genesis, uh, you know, People like Abraham, biblical heroes, they were polygamists and they had several wives. And this has led some people to the conclusion that the Bible uh, indeed uh, promotes polygamy and repression and other things, but it doesn't. 
Um, polygamy is always painted in a negative light in Scripture. If you read all the accounts, there's, there's never a happy ending to that, to polygamy in the Bible. And the subordination of women is not something that's promoted. If you look at what, how God uh, works in a culture, uh, for example, who does he favor in the book of Genesis over time? Uh, the practice of the day was the firstborn son, but we often see Jesus, or, or God, working with the younger. For example, Jacob over Esau, Isaac over Ishmael, Joseph over his older brothers. And there were many favored women in the Bible. And if you're of the opinion that the Bible promotes immorality, uh, then you need to go back and consider that the Bible is not teaching what you think it's teaching. Don't jump to a conclusion about the Bible until you've studied it. And I would venture to say that that internet poster that I quoted uh, was, has not actually read or studied the Bible. There's no way you would come to that conclusion if you actually read it. Now, you can read some things in there and you go, well, this isn't right or that can't be right. And if that's the case, I would say consult a Christian who takes the Bible seriously. And if we don't know the, the answer right off, we can find out and, and direct you. So, what about this text before us today that says, wives, submit to your own husbands? This would seem to be obviously teaching the subordination of women. Well, let's clear that up. The main duty of a wife is to submit or be subject to their own husbands. That's important. You're not subject to every husband or every man out there. Women are not subject to men. It's wives, sub submit, sub be subject to your own husband. Not every husband out there. What does it mean for a Christian wife to submit? Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It is not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. Christ is her absolute authority, not her husband. She submits out of reverence for Christ. The supreme authority of Christ qualifies the authority of her husband. She should never follow her husband into sin, for instance. Nevertheless, even when she may have to stand with Christ over against the sinful will of her husband, she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. And she shows by her attitude and her behavior that she does not like resisting his will. The wife voluntarily submits to her own husband. That's Wayne Grudem and John Piper. Most of the criticism of these commands is centered on the language of submission on the part of the wife here, but I guess I'll answer it with just one question. If you have a husband who is seeking to love you as Christ loved the church by laying down his selfishness and rights and comfort and ease, then why wouldn't you want to submit to that? Why wouldn't you want to place yourself under that? Well, of course, there are the roadblocks. We, like husbands, wives are selfish too. Don't want to uh, put themselves in that position want to be in charge or want to uh, have, a, have the authority all to themselves, just like the husband does. And husbands are not always respectable. We're not always worthy of, of our wives' respect. But, you know, you always are waiting for the other person. And this is the bottom line. We're always waiting for the other person to, to do their part. You know, oh, I'll do my part when she does her part. And she's thinking, I'll do my part when he does his part. And you know what's going to happen? Nobody's going to do their part. Everybody's going to wait for the other person to be unselfish. 
Or if we're unselfish, you know, we've been unselfish and we keep score. You know, well, I've been unselfish five times. And she's only been unselfish four times. It's her turn to be unselfish. Well, as soon as you start saying that, you have left the unselfish country and you've gone into selfishness country. We have to remember our own duties and do our best by God's grace to fulfill those duties to the other person, to our spouses. I like to tell young couples to try to outdo one another in unselfishness and you'll have a good marriage and encourage each other to fulfill the roles that God gave them and to seek to make it easy for the other person to fulfill their role towards you. So what kind of sermon is your marriage? Well, when we measure it up against the relationship Christ has to his church, I can tell you we all fail miserably. No one loves in the the depth and the passion that Christ has for his church. And and no one uh, subjects themselves to Christ or to their husbands as they should. We all struggle with that because of the problems of selfishness, etc., our own sin nature. We need God's grace and mercy. And the way that we grow in that is to know the story of the gospel. What is the sermon that we're proclaiming? Well, it's what Christ did for the church and how the church is to respond to that. And the more we know that story, the more that that story is in our hearts, the gospel, the more it's going to come out in our lives. Not just in our relationship between husbands and wives, but in all of our relationships and the way that we live our lives. So embrace Christ by faith and, and know that relationship, first of all, of being what it means to be subject to Christ and to experience the great love that he's poured out for his people. And the more that you become acquainted with that in your heart, the more it will come out in your life, in your relationships. Let's pray together.